At the beginning of a new year, a new season, a lot of people are looking for direction in their lives. And as I was praying about what to do, I decided to do a four-part series on guidance, on finding God's will for us. And uh, I've, over the years, I've had many choices to make, and I'm sure you have as well. And I've collected books on guidance. Um, here are just four of them. Uh, Led by the Spirit, How to Know God's Will, Last Word on Guidance, Decision Making. And these are all, all with different views on guidance, some of them radically different views. And um, uh, I would like to concentrate this week on how not to do guidance. And then we're going to move on how to get guidance in future weeks. So I've titled it, How Not to Find a Wife and Other Stories. And uh, this is, a st- I'm going to start off uh, with, the go- I'm going to get- have the goal of introducing the topic of guidance and some, to- some common pitfalls. And we're going to look at an example of George Whitfield, and I'll explain that story in a minute. We're going to look at fleeces, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and three things we can mean by God's will. So let's start off with George Whitfield, How Not to Find a Wife. Who have you heard of George Whitfield? Okay, he was one of the greatest preachers since the time of the Apostle Peter. And uh, he would preach um, to, he, he preached in the UK, but most of his work was done in the US. And um, he would, uh, he would go on these journeys, and as news came that he was going to be preaching at a particular town, people would start gathering maybe a day ahead of time on the hillsides around. And he had a voice that could preach to thousands upon thousands with no amplification. And they would just gather, and he would arrive on horseback, get off, and he would preach, and vast numbers would be saved. He would get back onto his horse and head off to the next time, just exhausting, just continuously. And and the, the nation was totally changed by his preaching. It was remarkable. Um, there's a story, as he was on his deathbed, and he was told there's a crowd who gathered outside the window and wanted to hear him preach. And so he dragged himself out of bed, came to the window, and preached the last sermon, and then went back into bed and went to be with the Lord. Um, quite an extraordinary story if you ever read it. But um, my main point of, of telling you this is just because you're filled with the Spirit and an amazing person of God doesn't mean to say you get it right about guidance. You can be very, very stupid about guidance, even though you are so blessed. Well, George met a girl in England called Elizabeth Delmont, and he appears to, be, to, to have fallen in love with her absolutely completely but he was very concerned that he didn't love her too much and uh, on his next trip to America they write to each other we've got a number of the letters he's obviously deeply moved and from his diary he speaks of this deep struggle he has to the core of his being because like shouldn't he put God first in his life and he's having these struggles. He writes a very strange letter to her where he as good as accuses her of being a rival to Christ. And then after some struggles, he decides to propose to her. But the letter which we have is a very, very strange letter. I can read you a bit here. Um, I am free from that foolish passion which the world calls love. 
I write only because I believe it's the will of God. And basically he says, you know, he needs somebody to look after the, 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 the work that he's doing and to do this and to do that. And um, uh, eventually he hears back and she declines. And uh, so he's thrown into this turmoil, but it gets worse. Because meanwhile, back in England, his friend, um, who's uh, Howell Harris, who's also a, a tremendous preacher, uh, Howell Harris has fallen deeply in love with Elizabeth jo- James, who is a widow. She's 10 years older than him, but the love is mutual, and they are absolutely enraptured with each other. And she's a great support to his preaching. She, they're very, very suited and fitted together. And... Um, in his journal, we read about how he's struggling, that Jesus used to be the only, only person in his life, and now he's got this woman. And what's, what's going on here? And he would try and put this woman out, and then she'd come back again, and what is he going to do? And uh, so he, he, he's, he can't figure out what he's to do. But then he hits on an idea. Brother George Whitfield needs a wife. Why doesn't he give her to George? So he writes to George and says, I have this this woman that I know, she'd be perfect for you, why don't you marry her? And um, George meets her, thinks she's okay, and they marry. And the sad thing is that they don't seem to be that fitted together, and how Harris never really gets over this love he has for this woman, the whole of his life. So it's... What happened to the first lady? She married someone else and she was okay. She was fine. So what, what am I, why am I telling this story? Just loving the Lord and being spirit-filled, a spiritual person, is not a guarantee of good guidance. A bad theology of guidance can still wreck you. So this is, that's my point of this story. And my second bad example, how not to, to, to find God's will, is Gideon. And uh, I'm going to read the story of Gideon. <clears throat> Judges chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Then the Lord himself turned to him and said, You have the strength. Deliver Israel from the power of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Gideon said to him, But Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Just look. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my family. The Lord said to him, Ah, but I will be with you. You will strike down the whole Midianite army. Gideon said to him, If you really are pleased with me, then give me a sign as proof that it's really you speaking with me. Do not leave this place until I come back with a gift. Imagine saying that to God. Don't leave this place till I come back. Uh, the Lord said, I will stay here till you came back. Uh, it was an angelic appearance. Um, Gideon went and prepared a young goat. Um, sorry, not angelic. It was probably Jesus appearing, uh, um, appearance of Jesus. Gideon went back and prepared a young goat along with unleavened bread made from an ephah of flour. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot. He brought the food to him under the oak tree and presented it to him. God's messenger said to him, put the meat and unleavened bread on this rock and pour out the broth. Gideon did as he instructed. The Lord's messenger touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff. Fire flared up from the rock and consumed the meat and unleavened bread. The Lord's messenger then disappeared. So let me ask you, did Gideon have guidance about what he should do at this place, at this time? Was it clear what he should do? 
Yeah, it was very clear. I mean, God himself had spoken to him. There was no problem with guidance here. But then something very curious happens. Gideon, uh, Gideon said, if you really intend to use me to deliver Israel as you promised, then give me a sign as a proof. Looking, I'm putting a wool fleece on the threshing floor. Now, I've actually brought one along with me. This is actually a sheepskin, actually from New Zealand. And it's, um, it's a, uh, but this, the, the fleece wouldn't have the skin on the back, but it would be, it would be a, a huge, great amount of wool. And the idea was that he'd put this wool fleece on the ground, and in the morning, if this is, the fleece was wet and the ground around it was dry, then he would be sure God was going to deliver him. And God did as he asked. When he got up the next morning, he sple- squeezed it, and there was enough water in it to fill a bowl of water, with the water that was in it. Yet the ground around it was, was dry. In verse 39 we read, Gideon said to God, Please do not get angry at me when I ask for just one more sign. Please allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make only the fleece dry and the ground around it covered with dew. That night God did as he asked. Only the fleece was dry and the ground around it was covered in dew. And you probably know the rest of the story. Gideon did obey God in the end and went forward and God was with him. And so that's the story of the fleece. And uh, let me ask you, was he trying to find God's will with his fleece? You told me he already knew God's will. Okay, it wasn't God's will he was trying to find out, though, was it? He just needed some, like, reassurance. He, like, his face was weak. He needed his faith strengthening. There was, God's will was very clear. God himself had spoken and told him what to do. So the problem, actually, it wasn't a way of finding God's will. It was a way of trying to shore up this weak faith, um, this doubt that he had. This was about fear. This wasn't about guidance. This was about fear in his heart about doing this. Um, so unfortunately, the idea of having fleeces of guidance has turned into like a good thing in a lot of, a lot of Christian settings. And people use it, use these crazy ideas for getting guidance. And I've got one um, for you here that um, it's... Um, the the dating story. Let me just find the dating story for you. Um, the dating story is this. Um, there was a guy speaking about how when he went into, um, when he was th- thinking about how, whether he should date a girl, he set this plan up that he would call her and if it was busy, then God was saying no because he was probably talking to some other guy. And if... It was, um, there was no answer, then that was a sign he should call back. But if she said yes, then that was a sign that he should go forward with a date. And anyway, he was telling this at a meeting and uh, people were laughing at him. And he said, um, he said, yeah, but have any of you done this ever? And people sort of sniggered a bit. And one guy said, uh, I still do it. <laughs> So, uh, sadly, there are all these, these kinds of um, uh, techniques people use for, de- for, for uh, trying to find God's will in this kind of way. 
Now, let's look at another story, and I'm going to contrast this story against the story of Gideon, because although it might on the surface look like a fleece, it's not actually at all. And I want you to tell me why it's not. And by the way, we're going to have a question and answer time at the end. So if you've got any questions, we're going to throw it open. So there's the, the Philistines had come to attack Israel, and they were really being routed by the Philistines. And Jonathan, the son of the king, and his armor bearer had, were going it alone to try and do something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will intervene for us. Nothing can prevent the Lord from delivering, whether by many or by a few. So did he have faith? Yeah, yeah, there's no shortage of faith here. His armor bearer said to him, do everything that's on your mind. Do as you're inclined. I'm with you all the way. Jonathan replied, all right, we'll go over to these men and fight them. If they say to us, stay put until we approach you, we need to stay right there and not go up to them. Now, you have to understand from later in the story that the Philistines are on a high, a high place, a high plateau. And to get to them, they have to crawl up on their hands and knees. So they're saying, while we're crawling up, we're going to call up and, uh, to these Philistines. And, and, uh, and if they tell us, oh, come on up, and we, uh, then, then um, we, we will go up. For in that case, the Lord has given them into our hands. It will be a sign for us. When they'd made themselves known to the made themselves known to the Philistine Gary, and the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes in which they hid themselves. Ha, ha, ha. Then the men of the garrison said to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come on up to us so we can teach you a thing or two. Then Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up behind me for the Lord has given, has given, second, has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan crawled up on his hands and feet with his armor bearer following him. So before we move on, so why was that different to a fleece? The key difference. Well, let me ask you, was whether the fleece was wet or dry anything to do with following God's plan to attack the Midianites? Or was it something completely different and random? It was just a random thing, wasn't it? Like there's no, no practical use at all. What he's asking here is different. What's the, what's the, the, the question he's really asking here? Uh, yeah, are these people so lazy and incompetent that they're going to allow us to get up to their level before they challenge us? That these people are crawling up on their hands and knees, uh, uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer, so vulnerable, and these guards are saying, oh, come on up. And so it's saying, like, are these people so lazy and vulnerable and basically complacent? And if they're that bad, God, that's a sign that you're going to give us the victory. And it turned out to be right. Because what happened was then, um, uh, they, they, uh, Jonathan struck down the Philistines with his armor bearer, came along behind him and killed them. In this initial skirmish, Jonathan and his armor bearer struck down about 20 men in an area that measured half an acre. Then fear overwhelmed those who were in the camp. 
those who were on the field, all the army and the garrison and the raiding bands, they trembled and the ground shook. This fear was caused by God. So what was happening here, there were, it was a sign from God, but it was a sign that was very related to what they were doing. And um, so I want to argue then that this is a, a very different kind of thing, that it's not actually a fleece. And uh, whereas um, the dating story we had earlier about the telephone calls, um, that was maybe marginally related to what's happening, but really not core to what was about to happen. So I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this now, and I'm going to ask, uh, we're going to just look at what, what is good and what is bad about these ideas of fleeces, the good and the bad and the ugly. And so first of all, the good, good, good fleeces, as people call them, are actually only good because they're not really a fleece at all. They're not really something random you're giving God to, as asking for a sign. Let me tell you a story of what, of what I want to illustrate this. So um, there was a girl I know who was thinking of taking a short-term missions trip to an orphanage, and she prayed that if God wanted to go, after, you know, after a lot of like seeking God and, and trying to, talking to, to, to people out whether this would fit with her, working out whether it was something that would work well in her life, all the, everything was there except she didn't have the money and she didn't have a visa and she needed them by a particular date. So she said to God, God, if you want me to go, may, please provide the money, may it just come and may my visa come by that date that I need it. Um, and uh, that's what she did. So was that a fleece? No, it wasn't a fleece at all. No, it was a very, very practical thing to do. And God did amazingly provide the money just before she needed it. And it was fractionally more than she actually needed. And he provided um, a visa. And she went and it was a, a very, very successful short-term trip that turned into a long-term trip that turned into her marrying the guy who ran the mission, but that's a different story. Uh, but um, but it, God, was, God was really with her in that decision. But it was the end of a process of seeking God's will and seeking God's wisdom, and it was something that was necessary for her to happen because she couldn't have gone if it didn't have the money. So I would say then that sometimes people call those things fleeces, doing that, putting out a fleece, saying, but it actually is really not. It's saying, I need to have this, God, if I'm going to do this. If I'm going to do this, then these things have to fall into place. Please do that. Um, so um, that's the good. Now, the next one is the bad. And um, the bad would be like a game between you and God. If, uh, if I'm to marry this girl, may she not be wearing yellow shoes the next time I see her. And you know she doesn't have a pair of yellow shoes. So, you know, so you've set things up to God to guide you in a particular way. The trouble is this can be very manipulative of God. You know, you, you've already set up how you want it to play out. You've already set up what you wanted to happen. And so you stack the odds in your favor for what you want. And then you say, God, please do that. And, um, and then, of course, it works out. Oh, God guided me. And then if it goes wrong, then you blame God. You know, God guided me really clearly. And look what happened. You know, why didn't God care about me? Um, and that unfortunately happens 
from I've met people and they you know this is their story and you think well why on earth did you try and like set this up and manipulate God in the first place um so uh uh it can lead to all kinds of problems and another one would be an after the fact fleece where you don't pick the fleece till after it's happened like oh you know she was wearing this um this uh Vancouver t-shirt and I'm from Vancouver we must be made for each other um and but you only decide that afterwards and so this this kind of thing um happens unfortunately so now we have you think that that's the bad and there's the ugly one there was the ugliest <laughs> okay it's justifying what we want to do anyway so i'm not sure if god wants me to have a ferrari or a lamborghini Um I'll drive to the Ferrari dealership and if there's a red Ferrari there by the way all Ferraris are red if there's a red Ferrari there God is telling me to get a Ferrari if not then he's certainly telling me to get a Lamborghini and um we can we can all fall into this trap and uh justify God justify what we want to do anyway by setting up this fleece and so my moral of the story is don't get fleeced by fleeces Uh so I'm now going to move on to the last part of the three things we're talking about today. Um God's will. Can anything happen that is not God's will? Well it depends what you're talking about. Uh what about sin is sin God's will? But sin happens. Uh if it's God's will surely it will happen. And so what we need to see is actually uh three there are three things we can mean by god's will and the first thing that and this is something that um theologians talk about and these categories aren't ones that i've made up these are ones that people very very thoughtfully through the ages have put together god's moral will and the god's moral will i'll talk about that in a moment the second would be god's sovereign will and the third would be uh, um i'm sorry of god's permissive will what i've got there okay i'm sorry we'll come back to that um uh so god's moral will the third one is god's permissive will um so god's moral will um how god would like us all to live And so for example part of God's moral will is love God with all your heart um and uh love one another as yourself. So this would be part of his will. And so it's um it's God's desire in his law in in set forth in the life of Jesus. It's expression of God's own character fully revealed in Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's called his perfect will. And uh So this is God's moral will. Now there is freedom within God's moral will. And we need to understand this that within it there's a freedom. So for example, God says you must love one another, but he doesn't say you've got to love that person before you love that person. He, there's a freedom. There's like a boundary. You mustn't go outside of this. You must live within this, but within that there's freedom. So uh one example would be the the matter of of giving so in the old testament how much were they to give 
where you, people say 10%, actually in some cases, they had to give multiple tithes, sometimes up to three tithes, which would be 30%. But it was very specified how much they should give. Um, under the new covenant, how much should we give? Yeah, there you go. Each one of you should give just as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. So what's the point there? The point isn't, oh, no, you don't have to give as much in the new. You know, God's happy with 8% or 7%. You know, it's okay. No, that's not the point. The point is that God wants you to give because you want to give, not because you have to, because he actually wants it the expression of, of joy from your heart. You know, if you get a present from somebody, you get a birthday present, and you discover that they were forced to give it to you. It kind of takes the joy away, doesn't it? <laughs> so it, it, this, it, God wants us to give with joy, not under compulsion. And so this is God's, so this is freedom under God's moral will. And, and so not only within the will, but he doesn't compel us what to give, but wants us to choose. Um, so, so this is, this is God's moral will. And there's obviously very clear boundaries on this. So, um, uh, you know, suppose you get a, a multiple job offers and, uh, you're thinking, what job should I do here? But one of the job is clearly doing something unethical. It would, no way should you do that. You couldn't do that job without breaking God's will. Then it clearly, God's moral will would give you guidance in that respect, that you shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing one of these things. But God's moral will wouldn't guide you closer than that. As long as you're doing something that is not actually breaking his commands, then that's okay. The second would be God's sovereign will. Um, and so uh, example would be Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. He does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants, inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now, this is a mystery that uh, we can have freedom, but God is still sovereign. Another verse would be Deuteronomy 29, 29. The hidden things belong to the Lord, our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our descendants forever so that we may obey all the words of the law. And so the, the, what is being said here is that uh, God, there's a hidden will that God has that will play out and yet we have freedom. So let me give you an example of that. The Apostle Paul, God saved him on the road to Damascus with this light that came down and revealed him, and the Apostle Paul's light was turned around. Well, did Paul freely make that choice? Well, yes, he did, actually. He freely just decided to do that. But did God sovereignly intervene and choose Paul? Well, yes. And so we end up with a mystery. There are lots of things about God that we cannot understand, which, of course, is not unexpected. He's, you know, he's God. But one of the mysteries is how something can be God's choice and God has chosen, like he says, he's chosen us before the foundation of, of the world, and yet be very much our will, and we have a valid choice in the matter. And the Bible teaches that we need to hold both these things in tension. We, don't need to just, we shouldn't destroy one of them to emphasize the other. So on the other hand, God is sovereign and God is in command. His, his, his 
um, his plans come about. But the other thing is human beings make valid, real choices which they are responsible for. And so um, that's, that is God's sovereign will. <clears throat> and the last one would be we call God's permissive will. Um, but before we do that, um, how come there is sin if God is sovereign? How come there is sin if God is sovereign? And this would be uh, the, the third one. Sometimes people call it God's permissive will, but it's, it's a kind of a will that relates the two. Um, if God is sovereign, uh, Adam and Eve were allowed to sin. Was that in God's sovereign command? Uh, Judas was allowed to betray Jesus. How come? Um, we cannot, we can't fathom this or we'd be God, but God delights in turning evil to good. Uh, this doesn't mean we should just sin because God's grace will be shown anyway. And so this is, um, this is a, uh, something that we just have to hold in tension. This idea that God has, uh, uh, very clearly said what he wants, what is right, what is good. But on the other hand, he could change things and he doesn't, at least not, not immediately. How, why is this? And as I said, we have to leave this question with God. It's like the problem of, of suffering. Why is the suffering if there's a God of love? Ultimately, we have to leave this with God. And I believe that God will in, in, when we meet God, we will see how all these things relate together. But our minds are limited. But so when this comes to guidance, this is how it impacts us, that, that um, uh, God, um, in some, in some, God has a, a, a goal for our lives, a plan for our lives. But sometimes we, we are given some freedom about exactly what choice we make. So um, I'm going to, actually, let me, before I, I um, explain that a bit more. I'm going to give you exactly what my four models for guidance are that I'm going to talk about next time. Four models for guidance. The first one is God will reveal exact guidance in every situation, and if you miss it, you are in trouble. And there are some people who will even look, what am I going to have for breakfast this morning, God? You know, every little detail, of, no matter how small, you need God's guidance. And this is a... This uh, can sound very spiritual, but um, it can become uh, real bondage. Uh, I remember meeting one man who was a, 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 an older man, and he said, um, you know, when I was a teenager, I know that God called me to be a missionary, and I didn't go to be a missionary. I missed God's choice. I, did, I didn't follow the guidance right, and I've wasted my life. My life has just been a waste. Well, how sad, how tragic. Is that how God works? You've got one chance of getting it right, and if you miss it, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're dead? No. It can, so this kind of model for guidance, that you've got to make all these minute choices just right, um, can end up with a lot of, of negative um, bondage, and it can become, sound very spiritual, but it, become, it can become deadly. Um, so a reaction to the opposite of this, the opposite one, is God's never promised guidance, only wisdom. You know, God's given you freedom. You can do whatever you want that's wise and within God's will. But God never, God wants you to make the choices. 
And that would be like the other extreme. And I've got books which represent all of these extremes. Um, the third one is, um, oh, I to say the second, you've got freedom to do anything as long as it is not immoral. Um, the third one is like a combination of one and two. Most of the time you can do whatever you like, but sometimes God's going to come in and guide you specifically. Now, this is a lot better than either of those two, but it's missing something. And what it's missing is this, missing the Holy Spirit. It's missing the fact that we have the mind of Christ and we can walk in the Spirit. And uh, so we can ask for wisdom and guidance. God will promise to give us wisdom. And sometimes he will give us a supernatural guidance. And I'm going to be talking about this. But he's not promised uh, that every single time that we ask him that we will get a supernatural guidance. Uh, there is, so, uh, you know, what, what am I to have for breakfast, God? I want supernatural guidance about what to have. God's not given us that sort of promise that he's going to do that. And so uh, the, the fourth one is, is the, the difference of having the spirit in us. And we're going to look at, we've not looked at a lot of scripture today, but we're really going to be digging deep into the New Testament and seeing what we can learn, plus some practical examples in our lives. So in closing, I'm going to ask you, does God ever guide those who are non-Christians? I want to tell you that there are many people, particularly in the Muslim world, who've had dreams of Jesus saying to him, I'm the one, you must follow me. And they've been saved because of their dreams. Um, what, what about the, the Philip evangelizing was taken to the desert and there was an Ethiopian eunuch riding a chariot and Philip, he, he said to Philip, I don't know what, I can't understand what I'm reading. Do you remember what he was reading? Isaiah. He was reading Isaiah. How do you, who guided him to be reading Isaiah at that right point when Philip was there? God did. So God had everything in, in plan. And um, uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here today or you're listening online, then I want to tell you that is God doing that. And God is guiding you here. And God led you to hear this message. Because God brings people supernaturally into places where they're going to hear his word. So I'm just going to throw this open now for, for questions or comments or thoughts people might have. A misconception, if we do God's will, then everything is going to work out. Yeah, yeah. And everything will be rosy. Whereas God's will might actually lead us into a difficult place. Yeah, it did for Jesus. Yes, that's right. That's good. Okay. So, yes. Okay, excellent question. So what happens if God's will revealed to me is, you know, God's told me that I, you're, I'm going to marry you. Ah, uh, God's told me <laughs> it's someone else I'm marrying. Yeah, but, which is actually happens. Yeah. Uh, so, well, tell me, what, what, what's, the, what's the problem there? Well, yeah, you, one, at least one of you must be wrong. Because God does not guide two people along different directions, and they're both they're both him. But but yeah.
So it's very, so that leads, I mean, we're going to be talking about it, but when you're trying to get guidance for someone else, that can be problematic. You know, God told me that you must do, 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 do. And that can be very problematic. Yeah. Not that it doesn't, it can't happen, but it's, yeah. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. What, what else? <laughs> so if you heard that, Gideon followed Moses' model, do everything you can to get out of asking what God, of, 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 of doing what God's asking you to do. Because, of course, Moses did that, didn't he, with you know, wanting various tricks done. Crystal, you had some. Yes, yes, I'll talk about dreams. Yes, yes, thank you. So that's, that really intensifies the problem that Chitra raised. What if they're actually receiving guidance from the same source and you're suggesting from a passage of scripture and getting the opposite thing from them? Yeah, so, so uh, again, that's, um, God can't be guiding you different ways from the same passage, so there must be something else involved. So hopefully, then, uh, after the next uh, three weeks, we will be better able to uh, understand these. And I'm going to be focusing on some scripture. And also, I've got a lot of stories to try and illustrate these of, of what God has done in the past. So um, let's, and if you want to talk to me afterwards and you've got any questions you don't want to raise up in front of everyone else here, then uh, I quite understand and we can talk afterwards about that. But let's, um, let's pray together, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for... Uh, being a God who is involved in our lives. Thank you, God, that you care for us deeply, that you love us deeply. Thank you, Lord, you are so patient with Gideon, even though he, 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 he took so long to respond. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, you're patient with us. And we pray, Lord, you will help us in the decisions we make, even the ones we're making this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.